0: Hello to all of you unconventional conventionists. Welcome back to Rocky Talkie. This is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything Rocky Horror. I'm the cryptid of the bunch, John.
1: I'm the paladin of the bunch, Jacob. And I'm also here. It's Aaron. (laughs) Fuck you.
0: Jacob, Aaron, I miss both of you so much. Well, in the guise of Rocky Talkie, at least, because I feel like I haven't been on here in like years because I have a life unlike the two of you. Hey. Hey. Now before we get started with the show, Jacob, Aaron, how was your week? Did we get up to anything fun? You got to clue me in on this.
1: Yeah, guys, my week, my week's been pretty good, been pretty busy. Um I wish I had some non-rocky stuff to talk about, but it's been mostly just rocky stuff, gearing up for October. It's been helping people with costumes and, you know, getting stuff ordered and figuring out all of our schedules and making promos, and it's been a lot, a lot of that stuff. Although, did have some fun last night. Uh, Rob, a good friend of ours, came into the city, and we went to uh, Sleep No More again, which was super fun. I've been once before, and uh, for anybody out there that doesn't know, uh, Sleep No More is like a interactive theater thing. It's in this big, giant warehouse where there's multiple floors, and it's, you know, the story of Macbeth happening around you in kind of like a... 20s 30s e kind of way and you just wander around and you get to follow the characters as they're doing their performance and see what's happening and there's very little dialogue and a lot of dance and you know it's super super fun um you just go and wander around this theater space for three hours it's really cool um so yeah so we did that cement
0: was actually in a uh, a production kind of similar to that called the poison garden down in philly it's very very similar to sleep no more and they got nominated for like a metric shit ton of awards this season i don't remember what they were because i don't pay attention but very similar
1: yeah i love that stuff i love anything that you know puts a weird twist on theater and uh i'd been once before a few years ago this was our friend rob's uh sixth time going to sleep no more so that was pretty cool
0: okay so he hates it is what you're telling me
1: right absolutely loves it nah uh no it was super fun um and really enjoyed it so yeah that was that was a lot of fun what were you guys up to Oh boy. Um, I, just got, I just got out of App Academy, which uh,
2: keen listeners will remember is the software development training regimen I recently entered into. So I am on the cusp of joining the workforce. I've been working on a lot of apps for my personal portfolio, uh, something, a, something about building exercise regimens called Get Fit, uh, building a clone of Tumblr called Tumblr but spelled appropriately – And a browser game, uh, turn-based, tiny little 8-pixel game. So that's what I've been up to, mostly. How about you, John?
0: (laughs) Tumblr, but spelled appropriately.
2: Yeah, they only have one R in the real Tumblr. Mine is (laughs) drink-themed, hence Tumblr.
0: Oh, okay. So you're a genius.
2: Wink, wink, (laughs) nudge, nudge.
0: It's been kind of busy over in the John household, obviously, because I haven't been around for, like, at least a month. But... You know, I'm back to work for the semester because I work in higher education, so that is uh, taking up a lot of my time because we are in the process of getting budgets approved and all of the really boring, stupid, shitty stuff, but I recently had a bunch of the newbies for the NYC cast over to uh, do a little picnic just so they can get acquainted with each other because, obviously, the more connected that you are with the people that you enter Rocky with, the more likely you are to stay. So I had them all together, and I uh, had one of them over later to do some rehearsal. And this coming week is going to be nuts because I'm actually leaving for San Diego in uh, about a week because I'm going to TwitchCon because I'm a fucking nerd. So I need to Ooh. get all my packing done. I need to finish my schedule, all my meetups that I'm doing. Um, I need to finish my cosplays. I'm doing two cosplays while i'm out there and i'm also performing out there with the san diego cast crazed imaginations on their friday oh, wow. show wow yeah it's gonna be dope that's they really want me, cool they want me to play riff it's like a 55 dollar uber to get out there but i don't give a fuck it's vacation bitch
1: nah that's worth that's totally
2: worth
0: totally worth it
2: money isn't real on vacation
0: i agree they have been super cool this entire time and are really excited to like meet me and perform with me and shit and i have a bunch of my twitch buddies going out to see the show a lot of them are virgins it's gonna be a great time
1: oh wow super fun yeah so all
0: right well that's out of the way why don't we all dive into our first segment global (laughs) nudes.
3: first up in global nudes
2: We've got a new interview with Richard O. Bernstein, which audience members will remember is our cutesy colloquial nickname for Philip DeFranco. Of course. About his time, yeah, of course, about his time making Rocky and the film success.
1: Oh, boy. I mean, I bet that I could give the exact same interview that Richard O'Brien gave, word for word, unless... I mean, did he manage to actually say a single new thing in this? Uh, maybe? He gave the usual party line about why Rocky
2: holds up and talks a bit about his life as he was creating it. This interview was pretty light, but he did get a couple of questions I haven't seen him answer recently. At one point, he's asked about his favorite characters, and he comments,
0: I would have loved to have played Rocky. That would have been cool, wouldn't it? But one thing is essential. You have to be a rather handsome and, you know muscular, and that ain't going to work. I could have played Janet. They're all so stupidly wonderful, these characters. They're iconographic.
2: Yeah, Janet doesn't have to be hot. Right, John?
0: Jacob, are you saying that I'm not hot as Janet?
2: Um, I'm saying that the amount of times you've played Janet reflects your suitability for that character.
0: Hey, Meg said very recently... Can I cast you more as Janet? And I said yes, and then I didn't get casted as Janet. So honestly, you're probably correct.
2: Probably, probably she said it because she needed Janets. But then she was casting shows, and she was like, "Is John a Janet? I don't know." Then Beetle me out, and she was like, "You're right, Beetle. No, he's not."
1: In in Meg's defense, that conversation happened two weeks ago, and there has been one show since then. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw that one out there. Let's not put any fake news out here. Uh, would we like to put money
2: on how likely it is John John is to be Janet in the coming shows because I'll I'll put some money down on the unattractiveness of, of John and his non-suitability for playing Janet. I'll put money on that shit right here right now on air.
0: I will also put money on that but I will raise the stakes and ensure that because Meg is a sadist uh she not only will put me as Janet but she will put me as uh Jacob's Janet.
1: Oh yeah Aww. she'll John. do that and whichever way I bet, is just gonna determine what happens because she's just gonna try and screw <laughs> me out of as much money as possible. So I love you, sweetie. But yeah, back to this article. There was a another weird one here. The interviewer asked, uh, quote, what's your favorite part of the show? To which uh, Richard said this.
3: Oi, governor! The noise at the end of Rocky is
1: wonderful. Cheerio.
2: It is empowering and exhilarating. At the same time, it is quite joyous. Rocky never fails to deliver. Each performance lifts the art and the nightly laughter and roars of approval leave the old cast with a sense of well-being and accomplishment that you rarely get from any other shows. I've never heard uh, Richard O'Brien. I hope that was, like, similar to how he sounds.
0: I, I know that he has, like, New Zealand descent in him, so, like, probably... That's what I was going for. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, good. Good. My sincere what that apologies mean? to all of our listeners out there who are going to have to turn their, their headphones down on that one. Because, boy, Jacob, you only have one volume. I mean, good, that you're,
2: good that you're telling them after I've I've made the outburst so that they yeah. retroactively turn their volume down. That'll really, their ears will thank them for they Yeah, they'll,
0: they'll rewind it and then turn it down and then re-listen to it so that they can understand what you said.
2: Oh, good. Right. That's uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. We've we've given them instructions. Mean?
0: Like, what noise is he talking about? Is it like metaphorical noise? Like,
2: what you guys you guys are crazy? Uh, Meg mentioned before this that she thought the noise was like metaphorical. Meg wrote this article, so she had thoughts, and I think that's that's insane. Like, it's obviously the noise at the end of Rocky's song. It's the end of Rocky Rocky's song. It's the da 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 right when they they're down on their knees and like doing that. Like spreading their arms out in front of the tank, um, magenta and riffraff and Columbia, is they make that little like it's like a game showy kind of just puffy woohoo da da da
1: sound. It's like that. That's a really good sound, you know. Six years and he can't remember that it's called "Sort of Damocles." That song is called "Sort of
2: Damocles," but it's Rocky's song, so it's at the end of Rock. Come on, it's right there. So would you say that if,
0: like, the last, like, few notes of Once in a While were his favorite, he would have been, like, the noise at the end of Brad is wonderful?
2: I mean, absolutely. Come on. That's even clearer, right? It's a little unclear here because he- Rocky is also the title of the movie. But if he said the last few notes at the end of Brad, come obviously that is the last few notes at the end of Once in a While. It's not, like, the last line that Brad has. That's rid- rid- ridiculous. Rid- ridiculous.
0: I don't think I have the spoons to argue
1: with it. So you know what, Jacob? You're right, buddy.
2: I know I am. Thank
3: you very much.
1: Well, fork you. I've got plenty of spoons. I'm pretty sure this is <laughs> metaphorical. Like this is this is very clearly him being like you know the 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 long tail on Rocky as a, a cultural influence. Da 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 da. And like, I mean, then again, okay. it's Richard O'Brien, maybe not. Like
2: Th- that's like triple times ridiculous. Because even if I'm wrong. Right, I could see that he's not talking about the music at the end of the Rocky song. But the movie is called Rocky! If he says, the noise at the end of Rocky, the movie, right? He's clearly referencing the noise at the end of the movie! When it gets all operatic and we're, there's like the bird's eye view of Dr. Scott and Brad and Janet in the smoke. And it's a, oh, like, obviously! If I mean, 100% he's talking about the da-da-da! But if he's not talking about the da da da, he's talking about the ah, la, la, at the end of the show. Come on! It's right <laughs> there!
1: Okay, I, I'm just because I'm not going to let you be right, the last thing that you hear on the movie soundtrack is ba 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 boom, right? That's the end bit where it's like the, 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 the film winding down at the end of the credits sequence. So get fucked. But no one considers the credits part of the movie in that sense. Come on, you're lying to yourself. oh, Oh, no, Jacob determines what is and isn't part of the movie. Okay, sure. Absolutely, absolutely, I do. Anyone would agree with me. Anyone. John, John,
2: are the credits part of the movie?
0: I think that if we were talking about, like, the 70s, probably not. But I think because of where we are in the world and the fact that Marvel, like, makes us sit through that and by proxy, like every other production company makes us sit through credits now. I think that it is de facto part of the movie now. So, When at home. You
2: said in the 70s, when was Richard O'Bernstein born? Uh, Not the 70s. I don't know. He made the movie in the 70s, and that is the context in which we need to view it through. Henceforth, the movie ends at the thing I said, and Aaron is wrong.
0: (laughs) Dude doesn't even know what it was. For those of you who are at home, when do you think the movie ends? What noise (laughs) is it? That he is referring to is it the da 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 at the end of Sword of Damocles or is it the ba 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 woo? Write to us at it Rocky the- Talky at gmail dot com and let us or, know. Or,
2: John, fuck you. There's one more and it's just as right as the other two. Or is it the at at the end of the blast off the castle blast off? What the fuck is that part called? I, I guess superheroes. Superheroes. There's a part the after of superheroes. Of superheroes there's, there's part Super the part after superheroes, gentlemen.
0: though, that is still part of the movie. It's the meaning. Thank you, John.
2: Yeah, Yeah, but that's not a wonderful noise. I don't know. It <laughs> seems unlikely to me that that's what he was referencing. <laughs> <laughs> <But I'm- laughs>
0: so cast your votes now. Is it the shanana? Is it the ba 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 Is it the a- Or is it the meaning? All right. And lastly, Richard gets hit with the question, what advice do you have for anyone that is new to Rocky Horror?
2: Ah yes, one of the classics.
0: Richard answers,
1: None. Just come with an open heart and a good will, or not at all. I always worry that maybe the fans might steal the evening. I don't ever want the show to be just a few people having fun. And the rest of the audience thinking they've arrived at a party that they weren't invited to. So that's important. I don't know what that accent was. It was good as what it was. Yeah.
2: I love that he gets asked, what advice do you have for anyone that is new to Rocky Horror? And then he says none. And then gives some advice to people yeah. who are new to Rocky Horror.
0: Is no. it vague? Of course. But it's still advice. No. Richard O'Brien answers questions the same exact way that Tommy Wiseau answers questions. He does
1: not.
0: He does not.
1: <laughs> so in honor
0: of the kickoff of the Halloween season, I think it would be fun for us to all answer this question. We're about to get a whole new crap and new audience members into our show. Halloween is a big recruitment season for most casts. How do you try to make sure that the most people in the audience feel the most included?
1: Uh, I'll knock this one out first. This is pretty straightforward for me. Um, It comes down to like three things. Make sure that Everybody doesn't feel uncomfortable. Don't make people do stuff they don't want to do. Don't shame them for something that they don't know that they are or are not supposed to be doing. And make sure that they set expectations around what the show's going to be like, what their role is within it, and if they are interested in joining the cast, what that involves. That's it. Set expectations make sure everybody's having a good time don't be a dick what about you jacob what's your tokens of wisdom
2: um i strike up conversations with people who are new and uh, i'm free with like like i'm giving with with affection and and acceptance and stuff the we recently had a really big swath of people just join like like nine people in two weeks and when there was like a certain at the end of the night one of those nights we were doing rocky and there's a bunch of new people i just went around and gave like everyone a hug everyone who was like up for a hug yeah follow up with people make sure they feel included like one of the one of the crew and also like ask them if they're into like sitting on my face and you know of course absolutely
0: there for me it's kind of two different uh, approaches if we're talking about audience members feeling included, and we're talking about new cast members feeling included. Uh, I come from a background of community management, so this is something that I do in my own professional life. I get paid to do it, and I think coming from the cast perspective, it's really, really important that the people who join, join with a cohort, because sure, somebody can join and then they can latch on to somebody who's been around the block a few times, but That doesn't necessarily mean that they have a shared experience. And one of the most important things about creating and sustaining community is by providing a similar group of people that they can share that experience with, which is exactly why I got all of the new people together and took them on a little picnic. The only person who was there who had previously been a part of the cast was me everybody else was new it was a time for them to get to know each other outside of rocky and outside an area that was not fully accessible to all of them and stuff like that i think makes the world to them because they have to create that shared experience because they have to be able to level with the other people that joined with them and if they can't do that Then they're outsiders, and then they leave. As for the audience, I think one of the most important things is having a good MC. Both Aaron and myself are very good MCs. We do it for NYC. Both of us have very different approaches to it, and I think both of them are effective. There is Aaron's approach, which is I'm going to get on stage, tell them what they need to do, and then I'm going to fuck off so we can get out of there early because the idea there is that they came for the show and they want to see the show. They don't want to be misled. But then I think that it draws a little bit of a fine line for me. Like when I host, uh, it's a little bit longer. It is not nearly as long as we used to do it. I usually host for about 15, 20 max, but there's a lot of audience engagement there. And it's not necessarily like the audience engagement that you think of, like, oh, bringing the virgins up and humiliating them. That is part of it, right? That's an aspect of it. But I do get in a lot of people's faces, maybe people that are showcasing me and using their body language to show that they are a little shy, just to get them enveloped. It's all about that immersion. And sometimes when you're in a theater with a host that is not interested in immersing the audience and they're just interested in masturbating on stage, it becomes difficult. So I think that both of those are really valid and iconic ways of hosting the show. But for me, if you have a bad host, then I'm not into it.
1: Mm -hmm. It just sets you off on the wrong foot, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah really does. Like, I don't want to see some sweaty white man up there for an hour berating the audience. That's not fun, you know? Right. That shows that you're up there because you want to jerk off on stage and not because you want to do the job of the MC, which is to immerse the audience who just got in there into a completely different world.
1: 100% agree. And uh, I think that's, you know, it goes, ties into what I was saying, you know, setting expectations. That's literally the MC's job, right? And whether those expectations are slam bam let's get you into the movie let's get you here doing the thing as fast as you want or whether they're let's take it a little slower and you know feel out the personality of what's happening here and just kind of the space that you're in kind of more the way that you do it both of them valid approaches and they both lend themselves to like really making sure the audience knows what they're there for as long as you're not pontificating you're good to go well and to elaborate on that point uh (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed. Next up, our favorite slut has once again been making headlines in spicy new ways. And no, this isn't because she just came out as bisexual again. Susan Sarandon's brand new Fox TV show Monarch premiered last weekend, followed immediately by an encore showing on the same channel. The double feature broadcast hooked 5.3 million viewers, and the show quickly rose to become the highest scripted debut of 2022, followed by HBO's House of the Dragon. This thing beat out Game of Thrones. Along with the television
2: premiere, Arista Monument Records, the show's official partner, released a Monarch EP, which includes both original songs and country classics performed by the cast. It's like Glee! The show's second and third episodes are already live, so if you haven't been watching, it's time to catch up. You can watch them Tuesday nights on Fox or stream them on Hulu. The Season 1 EP is also available to stream on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Pandora. We've also linked it for you in our show notes.
0: And we here at Rocky Talkie would like to congratulate Susan on a fantastic launch, and we hope the show continues to go over like gangbusters. And speaking of Susan, her name has come up in the media recently in conjunction with another Rocky adjacent star, Ezra Miller, who played the queer bestie and perks of being a wallflower.
1: Oh, man.
0: Yeah. And also a grade A piece of shit, as all of you probably know. But according to Insider.com, Susan had snubbed Ezra by not inviting them to a dinner party at her house. Ezra reportedly freaked out and demanded that Susan come to their home to pay tribute to their altar. I'm sorry, their...
2: their what? Their altar. This article says it's full of bullets, weed, sage, and flash figurines, because Ezra is an actor in the flash. Amazing. The
0: article goes on to quote Ezra's friend, as if Ezra has any friends, as commenting, A lot of times Ezra makes women put their cell phones on the altar when they come in, and other offerings.
2: Wow, (laughs) it's like the booty call version of locking your phones in a bag during a concert. I kinda hate it! You kinda would hate it. Ezra's representative told the press that their outburst was meant to be taken lightly. And they're actually good friends with Susan, wink, wink. Perhaps unsurprisingly,
1: Susan's people didn't respond to requests for comments. Well, we hope Susan appreciates Ezra's wacky antics, and that next time she goes to hang with her good friend, she'll remember to leave her phone on the flash altar. Jesus fucking Christ. Can Ezra Miller just be out of the news, please? Please. Oh, I would really yeah, appreciate that. that is such a train wreck just happening in real time. Anyway, anyway, speaking of train wrecks in real time, I think that brings us over to some community news.
0: For our community news segment this week, we've got a heartwarming tale about how Rocky Horror is helping a small town enter the 21st century this Halloween.
1: Aw, the suburb of Parker, Colorado, is home to the Parker Arts, Culture, and Events Center. This is a venue that hoped to show a screening of Rocky for their spooky season. However, due to an extremely outdated lewdness law the community still has on the books, any venue that holds a liquor license is prohibited from showing any lewd or indecent displays. This includes... Female Breasts, (gasps) breasts.
0: <gasps> Not, Not feet I
1: breasts.
2: I really like that it's just places that are dispensing alcohol. It's like soda pop, candy shop, pet store, boobies everywhere. And boobies for everyone. You got a little bit of rum tied those titties. And as Little Nell features heavily in Rocky, you know, boobies are a foregone conclusion.
0: Well, Parker's town council is going to convene to consider this law, especially considering the recent federal court ruling that states female and male breasts are no longer considered to be different levels of decent. Love that we had to have a court decide that. I mean,
1: let's just count our blessings that they decided correctly, right? Facts. According to this article, Colorado towns all over the place have been taking steps to modernize, that's titty-wise, recently. A couple of years ago, the town of Fort Collins struck down their law that prohibited women from going topless. And even more recently, one lady in Loveless, Colorado, was issued a citation for indecent exposure when she played a game of topless frisbee. She sued the city and was awarded a $50,000 settlement. Good
0: for her. Make that topless frisbee money, girl, we're rooting for you.
2: I'd subscribe to that channel. The town council is planning to meet about this issue this month and hopefully bring some equal-opportunity lewdness to its community. Local civil rights lawyer David Lane commented, stating, Every municipality has a certain number of ancient, ridiculous laws on the book, so it doesn't surprise me that old-time Parker believed breasts were lewd. Finger quotes, finger quotes.
1: Well, here's hoping the community makes the right fucking call in time for Rocky to be shown at the Parker Arts Cultural and Event Center this Halloween. Then they can make a Hallmark movie about it. With boobies!
0: And speaking of ancient and ridiculous old things that keep coming up in our modern-day
1: zeitgeist, what you got for us, Aaron! All right, guys, I've got a fun one this week. So we've got a lot of new cast members. They've been joining the New York City cast recently. And part of all of that comes with having new bright eyed and bushy tailed cast members that have no idea what they're fucking doing. And you got to teach them everything. And more importantly, you got to start at the beginning and you got to explain to them some of the callbacks.
0: Yeah, most callbacks are self explanatory, but I'm always reminded how much we take for granted, you know, doing this for such a long time and being you know old. Like not me, of course, and like not Jacob, but like Aaron, you know, Aaron's old. Yeah, I, Aaron
1: old. I'm 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 not that old. Uh but when new cast members don't understand a fight club reference, uh I die a little bit inside. Yeah. Alright. I won't lie. I didn't get that one till like, recently. So, case in point, this week, let's break down some callback etymology. What do callbacks have to do with insects? I know they're a kind of
0: earworm, but... No, Jacob, that's entomology. This is etymology. What do callbacks have to do with
2: soybeans?
1: <laughs> not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. It, it It's it's simple. Etymologically, entomology comes from the French entomology and the New Latin entomologia. These come from the Greek entomon for insect and logia for study. Entomology, then, is the study of insects. Did you just say logia? I don't know, man. I don't know how to like pronounce any of these study? words. Yeah, sure. Which,
0: stands, which starts with L, which stands for... Lord have mercy, it's Robert Loja. <laughs> so by comparison, etymologically, etymology comes from the Old French etymology and the Latin etymologia. Both come from the Greek etymologia, from etymon, which means true sense, and logos, which means word. By modern definition, etymology is the study of a word's history.
2: I fucking hate you both and you're not smart and i'm better than all of you go shove an ant up your loogie
0: why would i put a large fantasy tree creature from lord of the rings in my british slang for spit mixed with boogers
2: i can see i'm gonna get real sick of this episode really quick i I can't believe
1: i'm asking but can we just talk about rocky horror please all right Got him! So, let's do this chronologically through the movie, uh, and we are obviously not going to talk about every callback that would take forever. I think
2: everyone out there can figure out what asshole and slut are referencing, and why the crim has no neck.
0: So, right off the bat, we've got science fiction double feature. Now, there are a million articles explaining all of the references in this song, and we're not going to cover any of that because this episode isn't about the references in the movie. This
1: is about the references in the callbacks. But I do want to just go ahead and answer the question that one of the callbacks asks. So, right after this line. And
3: I really got hot. When I saw Jeanette Scott fight a triffid that spits poison and kills. What the fuck's a
1: triffid? Right, so, a triffid is a fictional tall carnivorous plant created by John Wyndham in his 1951 novel The Day of the Triffids. The book was adapted into a 1963 film where Jeanette Scott played the character Karen Goodwin
0: and in the novel, the origin of the Triffid is never really explained, but in the film, they are extraterrestrial life forms transported to Earth by comets.
2: Is Janet Scott Susan Sarandon? You said Janet Scott plays character Karen Goodwin? Does that mean Susan Sarandon played Karen Goodwin? Janet Scott Rat? is a film actress. Ah, and not a reference to Janet in the movie. Understood. <laughs>
1: Man, well, I... I- maybe we should have gone over what asshole and slut me (laughs) 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 well I didn't really need to know that but thanks I guess what's next alright so I felt compelled to add this one so right after Crim's first speech we get this call back they were going to remember for
4: a very long time (laughs)
2: Asshole.
1: Okay, even I know this one. This is a Batman reference. That's right. The original Adam West live-action Batman series, to be precise. In the opening credits, you have the Batmobile driving straight towards the camera, much like Brad's car, and naturally we get a na 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 asshole. Yeah,
0: that one seemed pretty self-explanatory, but this next one. I don't really get what there is to explain about it. Brad and Janet walk through the castle doors, and as they do, we get probably the funniest callback in the movie. Hey, Brad, show us how a butterfly masturbates. And then he does. He flaps his jacket
1: collar. Right, so I have no idea if this is part of the intention when the callback was created, but I just realized this the other day uh, while I was hunting for Brad jackets for Jacob, and I, I had to share this with everybody. Did you know that the type of collar on Brad's driving jacket, that wide fabric with like the pointed tips, that very seventies look, that's called a butterfly collar. Ah, isn't that cool? So it it works on two levels. You really
2: need to get a hobby, another hobby or something.
0: Yeah, or something.
1: Okay, and then just a few moments later, uh, we get this gem. This way.
5: Are you having
0: a party? Do you see any Tupperware, bitch? What's there to explain about this?
1: John, you're old. Jacob, do you know what a Tupperware party is? Um, I'll read the real, the right
2: line, but I have to say, I don't know what a Tupperware party is, but at parties you have Tupperware, so I just assumed they were saying, well, there's no, like, forks and plates for cake and stuff,
1: so it's not a party. Um, isn't that amazing? I thought this was self explanatory too. Okay, so, uh, tupperware parties used to be these things where they're like mary Kay parties right or like uh play with sex toys parties right where somebody is like a representative for a company in this case tupperware and they have a bunch of stock of tupperware at their home and they invite all of their friends over to come sit down and have shitty mimosas and look at all of this tupperware like literally Tupperware and play with it and see which ones they might want. And then they place orders through this, the the, the host to order all of this Tupperware. So it's, it's like a, a multi-level marketing, almost kind of level like thing where you're just bringing your friends over to try and sell them stuff. And Tupperware was one of the big, like, innovators in this space that made this a thing where women housewives would host these tupperware parties bring all their friends over and they just get drunk and then order 10 you know sandwich tupperware containers or whatever real thing
0: which is absolutely wild because like why didn't they just you know keep the tupperware containers from chinese food then they wouldn't have to buy it
1: you didn't didn't get Tupperware with Chinese. Also, that's not Tupperware. Tupperware is a brand that is. You know what? This is not important. Is Tupperware a brand? Yeah.
2: What? Damn! Learns something new every day.
0: I really feel like you're all over the spectrum on these. Like Batman, butterflies, Tupperware. I have to imagine these are just either like super
1: obvious or so obscure that they're getting phased out because people just don't get them anymore, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what I wanted to get to. You know, talking about in general is. Callback history, right? It's it's important to remember that callbacks weren't all created at the same time, right? They were shouted out spontaneously over the last nearly 50 years, and they were done all over the world, and the ones that were funny got repeated and, you know, went on to have a life of their own and are still repeated today, and many, 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 many more just never landed or completely fell out of favor after only a short amount of time.
2: There's also a ton of regional differences. When you visit a Rocky show in a different city, you're going to hear stuff that isn't shouted at your home show.
1: Right, and you can kind of group callbacks into a few different buckets, right? You've got the kind of obvious and obscene ones. You know, you're like generic, oh, asshole, slut, or like with whips and chains, you know, that kind of thing. And you've also got the ones clearly reacting to
0: something on screen. Those are the buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch, and Frank, so yeah, he can't even
1: float straight. Right. And then you've got the pop culture references. And these are the ones that we're kind of breaking down here. Because a lot of the references that were super topical in the late 70s and the 80s when the callbacks were first being screamed are still being used now. But for
2: many people in the community, especially those on the younger side, they aren't particularly familiar with pop culture from the 70s, the 80s, or even the 90s and early 2000s. So here's one that I know most people can't explain. Columbia's tap dance solo. I'm so glad that you brought this one up. I didn't have a choice. You scripted
0: it for me, you pompous cunt. Right. So Columbia, during time warp, starts her tap dance, and we get the two, four, six, eight, show us how you masturbate, three, five, seven, nine, you know you do it all the time, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, now you've got me really horny, one, two, three, four, pick yourself up off the floor.
2: Or the variation. Two, four, six, eight. Eat your heart out, Ann Miller. Eat yourself out, Ann Miller. Eat me out, Ann Miller. Who the fuck is Ann Miller? And, like, I'm an adult. I can Google Ann Miller. She was an American actress and dancer best remembered for her work in the classical Hollywood musicals of the 40s and 50s, well known for her super fast tap dancing, and claimed
1: to have invented pantyhose. Ah... But what's interesting, and you couldn't Google, is that this might be considered the first callback ever. No, 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 no. Hold the fucking phone. We all know the first callback was
0: buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch. Louis Freezy, Waverly Theatre, New York City. Sal Piero tells the story. Barry Bostwick tells the story.
1: Everyone tells the story. It's the first callback. I would argue it is not.
2: You sacrilegious piece of shit. What? So, Sal Piero, the literal pope of rocky horror, is just what?
1: Fucking wrong? Big words, little man. You better back that shit up. Okay, okay, I can. So, the origin of this callback actually comes from the stage show. In the early productions of the stage show, as Columbia is tap dancing during Time Warp, she screams out Eat your heart out, Ann Miller. Now, this is not in any version of the script that I've ever seen. It's just a funny little line. It's a reference that audiences in the 70s would have completely understood. And it's kind of Columbia being a tongue-in-cheek bitch, right? You can even hear Bonnie Eaton, who played Columbia, screaming it in the 1974 Roxy soundtrack. Take a listen. That's not enough. Furthermore, you can hear it again in the later 1975 Belasco soundtrack. Listen to this.
0: Okay, well, that's all well and good, but that's the Rocky Horror Stage Show, and it's a line that Columbia says. It's not something that the audience
1: shouts. You haven't sold me yet. I I promise it's coming.
3: Yeah, I am!
1: So, when Rocky, the movie, released in 1975, before it ever made it to the Midnight Circuit, it premiered at the UA Westwood in Hollywood. And unlike the rest of the country, it actually did pretty well there. A big part of this was because fans of the stage show kept coming back to the movie again and again. These were the first people that dressed up as Transylvanians, they sang along to the film, and because they were so intimately familiar with the stage show, particularly the Roxy soundtrack, they also called out all of the asides that the characters said during the songs, a lot of which were not included in the film. This includes Columbia's call-out during Time Warp. So. 1975,
2: before Rocky had even premiered at the Waverly Theater in New York, before Salpiro ever saw the film, some group of theater kids in LA were screaming, Two, four, six, eight, eat your heart out, Ann Miller! I- is that what you're telling
1: me? That is exactly what I'm telling you.
0: Well, shit on a cracker. I guess it's one for the history books. Or just a book. Or a podcast. We should really do an episode about. Oh,
2: gotcha. See, that's a cool one, though. The endoplasm of the actual callback is far more interesting than what it's referencing. Etymology. Fuck you. Not not endoplasm. Etymology. Etymami. Whatever you want me to say, just say it and I'll say it. God. So here's one that I've had to explain
0: recently, and honestly, I've changed this one because nobody gets it. After Time Warp, Brad says...
1: Say it. One of you guys know how to Madison? I do the rock. It's stimulating. Or alternatively, I do the swim. It gets me wet.
0: Right. Tell me you're a boomer without telling me. Any guess to what those are references to, Jacob?
2: Well, the second one is obviously a reference to Little Nell's boobilicious song, I do the swim. And, And yes, I can confirm, it does get me
1: wet. And how about the first one, I do the rock. It's stimulating
2: obviously a reference to Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the Fast and Furious 6 franchise. It's right there. Your mom? Also, boobylicious, but in a far droopier way. Hey! Close
0: enough. It's a fucking Tim Curry song, Jacob, called, as you would guess, I Do The Rock. It's off of his second album, Fearless, which was released in
3: 1979. Me, I do the only thing that stops me all I do their all.
1: So yeah that's what that is moving right along this next one uh i would be surprised if most everybody out there didn't already know it but it's here just for completeness uh let's jump forward to frank's speech in lab scene the answer was there all the time 42
0: easy Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, written by Douglas Adams. 42 is the quote, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And it was calculated by an enormous supercomputer named Deep Thought over a period of 7.5 million years. I'd be surprised
1: if anyone didn't know that. I mean, you gotta remember, Hitchhiker was first aired as a radio drama in 1978. It was later adapted into the books. And after about 1985... It was just kind of a backburner part of the nerdy zeitgeist until the early 2000s, you know, when the 2005 movie came out and there was that just huge resurgence of sci-fi pop culture. So, while yes, this one is pretty obvious now, there's a good span of, a you know, a couple decades there where it wasn't always that obvious. It's a good example of how callbacks can fall in and out of pop culture.
2: Speaking of random bullshit, I think this one is pretty self-explanatory, but for total completeness, the sweat from his pores, as he works for his cause,
0: will make him glisten. What's your favorite toothpaste? And
2: gleam. Right. Gleam, spelled with two E's, was, was introduced as a toothpaste in the United States in 1952 and discontinued in 2014. So... A good example of a callback that might be destined for the pop culture trash heap when people forget that it was ever a toothpaste brand.
0: Oh, okay. Here's one during the start of Fuck with the Monster. I've never understood this one. I'm so glad we had this time together just to sit around and fuck a mop. What the fuck is that?
1: Yeah, that's uh, kind of what everybody would do before the It's a Hard Knock Life, you know, bit came in, right? This is So this one is almost even out of, you know, popularity at this point. Uh, but what it's referencing is a song that was sung by Carol Burnett on the debut episode of The Carol Burnett Show in 1967. So, The Carol Burnett Show was a variety comedy hour that ran on CBS for over a decade. It won 25 primetime Emmys during its run and was, by definition, a huge part of American pop culture. It was nearing the tail end of its run by the time Callback started at Rocky, but this is a clear example where people grew up with Carol Burnett and adapted one of her most iconic songs into a callback. Here's a quick snippet of the original, so you can hear the comparison.
3: I'm so glad we had this time together, just to have a laugh or sing a song.
2: Alright, let's jump forward to whipping scene. There's not a lot here. We're not going to talk about Mary Poppins and R2-D2, though it blows my mind that Star Wars didn't release until 1977, so the first person who screamed that callback was, like, super timely and relevant. And there were probably people in the theater like, I I don't get it. I haven't seen Star Wars yet. (laughs) I want to do the old version of a callback I know now. um, When Frank goes...
3: The intruder is entering the building, master. He'll probably be in in the zen room.
0: In the cultural appropriation room.
2: Right? That's the one I've heard these days, and and it's funny as shit, but the old callback that I only ever hear old people say is, in the George Harrison room, which, like, I'm, I'm not stupid. I am stupid. I know George Harrison is one of the guys in the Beatles, but I don't Get it?
0: This one requires a bit of Beatles history. So during the Beatles' American tour in 1965, a friend of George Harrison introduced him to Indian classical music, particularly the work of sitar maestro Ravi Shankar. Harrison became fascinated with the sitar and immersed himself in Indian music, so much so that George Harrison would use the instrument on the Beatles' song Norwegian Wood, which brought the iconic sound of Indian music to rock music. Ravi Shankar called it the Great Sitar Explosion of 1966 and 67, and George Harrison is recognized as the man who is most responsible for the phenomenon.
1: What the hell does sitar music have to do with the zen room? It's a reference to the audio cue that happens right after the line. Ah. Shall we inquire of him in person?
2: Oh! Okay, that makes sense. So, the cultural appropriation callback is actually, ironically, also referencing the original callback. Probably unintentionally, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, right?
0: I liked it. And we can't forget the end of whipping scene. I'm sure these are pretty obvious, but the Bullwinkle callback at the end of Rocky Roll Call is a reference to the classic cartoon. The same reference that is made later when Magenta freaks out during freezing scene... And the last callback in the scene, toga, toga, as we see Rocky and Janet just holding the red sheet, that's a reference to the line spoken by John Belushi's character, Bluto, in Animal House.
3: You guys up for a toga party? Toga! Toga! Ah, yeah, I think they like the idea, Hoof. Oh, Otter, please don't do this. We got news for you, pal. They're gonna nail us no matter what we do. So we might as well have a good time. Toga, toga, toga! toga.
1: So, from there we go onward to dinner scene, and this one's more of an origin of the phrase than the callback, but during Eddie's Teddy, we get this. From the day she was gone,
3: all he wanted was rock and roll corn. On the up junk. He was a cheap
1: little punk oy, oy, oy. sorry So the association between Oi and punk rock comes from the latter part of the 1970s. In fact, Oi is used to describe a style of music that rejected the perceived commercialization of punk rock and predates the hardcore punk sound of the 80s. It fused the sounds of early punk bands like the Sex Pistols and the Ramones with influences from 60s British rock bands like The Who, along with football chants and other fringe genres. Over time, oi is mostly considered a skinhead-oriented genre, though it was originally punk. The term oi was coined in 1980 when rock journalist Gary Bushell took the name from the garbled oi that Stinky Turner of the Cockney Rejects used to introduce the band's songs. Here's a bit from their late 70s song, appropriately titled, Oi, Oi, Oi.
0: Well, that would be amazing if I could tell what
2: they were saying at all. So, at the end of dinner, we've got the line as Frank rips the tablecloth off and reveals Eddie's body. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I knew this was a reference to the movie Fight Club. No, I didn't. But I
1: didn't really get why it made any sense. Because Meatloaf plays Robert Paulson in Fight Club. You know, Bitch Tits Bob in in Fight Club. Oh, totally. It, it seems so obvious now. But, you know,
2: I really didn't know that that was meatloaf. I never put two and two together. So, you're welcome, everyone out there. Now you know.
0: And the last callback we want to hit before we get the floor show. As Frank goes over to the freezer, we get another sing-song callback in, I see a red door and I want to paint it black. This is, of course, a reference to the Rolling Stones song, Paint It Black right at the beginning of the song and because we don't want to get hit with any more copyright strikes than this episode is already going to get we're going to leave it to you to go check out that song also if you don't already know the rolling stones i feel
1: bad for you son all right we've only got time for a few more so i want to skip through all of floor show and get to the good bits at the end of the movie so after riff and magenta's entrance as they are standing near the entrance to the ballroom you'll hear the audience shout this line Green Acres is the place for me. So, you might be able to guess, or not, that it has something to do with the television show Green Acres. I have I don't know what that is. Okay, Green Acres aired on CBS from 1961 to 1971 and told the story of Eddie Albert and Eva Gabor as a couple who moved from New York City to a small country farm. At the very end of the intro, which features the theme song, Green Acres, you see Eddie and Eva standing outside their rural country cabin, mimicking the American Gothic pose. The, he's standing there complete with the pitchfork, and the framing of that shot bears a striking resemblance to how Riff and Magenta look standing in the ballroom doorway.
2: So, that's it? It, it just kind of looks like it? And the guy has a pitchfork?
1: Yes. That's the joke.
0: And then a few minutes later, after Frank sings his song and dies, and then Rocky dies, we get the exchange between Riff and Dr. Scott, where Riff says...
3: A decision had to be made. You're okay by me. Nanu nanu.
0: Shit. Wrong alien. This one is cute, and another example of a callback that was extremely topical when it was invented, but a lot of people just don't know about it anymore. Nanu Nanu was the catchphrase used by Robin Williams' character Mork in the 1970 television show Mork and Mindy. Rumor has it that the phrase was originally scripted as no, 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 but Robin Williams ad-libbed
1: the changed pronunciation and it stuck. Did you know Mork and Mindy was actually a spinoff from a single episode of Happy Days? Kind of like how Frasier is a Cheers spinoff?
0: I did not, and nor do I care.
1: All right. Well, uh, I've got one more, and this one is actually the reason that I even started digging into callback etymology in the first place. Before that nanu nanu callback, we have Riff's freakout and Dr. Scott's exclamation.
3: They didn't like me! They never liked me! You did right.
2: Slowly, I turned, step by step,
1: inch by inch... The length of Dr. Scott's cock by the length of Dr. Scott's cock. So, this, it turns out, is a reference to a very old and very famous vaudeville routine.
0: Vaudeville. Oh yes, that old-timey stage variety show. Dancers, singers, jugglers, comedians, magicians, dancing dogs, racism, all the old classics.
1: This routine, uh, widely known as Slowly I Turned, features a man recounting the day he took revenge on his enemy. While the straight man, the other character, merely acts bewildered in the act, the crazed character relives the incident, uttering the words, Slowly I Turned, step by step, inch by inch, as he's reliving him hunting down his enemy, and the entire time he's slowly approaching the stunned onlooker, and then eventually attacks the onlooker! And slowly, the attacker comes to his senses, only to go berserk again and start beating the onlooker when he accidentally says the exact same triggering phrase again, and making him relive that old memory. So, the Three Stooges performed this sketch as part of the show that they put on within the short film, Gents Without Sense, released in 1944. In this version, the trigger word is Niagara Falls.
4: Hiya, pal. You call me pal? Why, I haven't heard that word for years. You know, bub, I was once a tramp like you. Oh, congratulations. Ah, but it wasn't always thus. I can look back to the days of yore when I was a very happy married man. And one day that rat came and destroyed forever all the happiness I'd ever known. I'll never forget that day. I just came home from the graveyard shift. And there was a note on a pillow. What did it say? Oh, it was one of those cold-blooded notes. Dear Mo, I'm running away with Larry. I was obsessed with the idea that I must find him. The trail led me to Pittsburgh. I found that I'd missed him by three days when I got there, and I swore right there in Pittsburgh I'd find him and have my revenge. Now, on went the chase. Miami, Dallas, New Orleans. And then I came face to face with a rat that had ruined my life. It was in Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls! Slowly I turned and stepped by step, inch by inch, I walked up to him and I smashed him, I hit him, I knocked him down, I knocked him down, I knocked down, oh, take it easy boys, take it easy, excuse me kid, it's that word Niagara Falls every time I hear it, it tears me apart, it don't do me any good either, ungrateful, that's what it is, how do you like a guy like that? I say hello, pal, sort of friendly, and just because I say Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls! <laughs> Slowly I turn. Please, no. And step by step. <laughs> inch by inch. No, please, no. I step <laughs> And I knock. Oh, take it easy, pal. Please, take
0: it easy, In that same year, Abbott and Costello did a variation where the trigger was Pocomoco. In
2: 1952, on the Colgate Comedy Tour, Abbott and Costello again performed the skit. But this time, Errol Flynn played the attacker, this time as a cowboy. 1952 was a good year for Slowly I Turned. I Love Lucy did the sketch with the trigger word Martha. And in 1962, Lucille Ball flipped roles from the attacky to the attacker on CBS opening night.
5: Are you sure you want me to tell you my story?
4: Is this the sketch? Yes. you're telling me? Oh, yes. yes, I would like that. Well,
5: it's a long, sad story. I was a gay, wealthy socialite with a handsome husband, and then she came into my life. One night, a knock came at my door. I opened it. A stranger was there. I told her to come in and make my home her home And that was the beginning of the end One night when I returned home I found the usual note The stranger had stolen my husband away And then the search began I followed them all over the world Until one day I saw them in Niagara Falls That witch and my handsome husband I never mention her name Because when I do Everything turns black in front of me I am possessed with a lust to kill That's why I never mention her name but it happens to be the same as George Washington's wife. You mean Martha? Martha! That's it, Martha! Slowly oh, I turn. And step by step, and inch by inch, I crept up on the witch who had ruined my life. I looked around for a rock, and I let her have it. yes! Yes!
3: What are you doing, Lucy? Give me that. What's the matter with you?
5: Oh, you're not her.
3: Oh.
5: You're the one with the kind face. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm not well. It's
3: all right. I understand. It must have been quite a shock of you thinking about that moth Oh, here we go. Slowly, I step
5: by step, step by step, inch by inch, I crept up on her. I looked around for another rock, and I let her Lucy, I thought you were going What are you doing with this thing? Oh, it's you! Don't you remember me? I'm the one with the kind face. I'm sorry. I should have met you when I had a better grip on myself. And in
1: 1956, Milton Berle recorded a version of the sketch with the trigger word Buffalo. This recording was played extensively on Dr. Demento's radio show, which featured strange or unusual recordings and was a huge hit playing all throughout the 70s and 80s.
3: Oh, I used to have a honey bun, and we were doing fine. Until the day she told me that she loved a friend of mine. I met the guy on Monday, and when he said hello, he said they were eloping on a train to Buffalo. Buffalo! (laughs) He said, Buffalo. So slowly I turned and I hit him and I bit him. I rocked him, I socked him and I knocked him to the floor. With a bump and a clump and a lump and a thump, I gave that guy what for. And man, when I was finished, he must have known by then to never, no, never say Buffalo again. I was standing in a tavern when I met a guy I know. We talked a while and then he said, I really have to go. I asked him, where you're going? And he answered, don't you know? I'm going down to Africa to hunt some buffalo. (laughs) Buffalo! (laughs) He said, buffalo! So slowly I turned and I hit him and I bit him. I rocked him. I sucked him and I knocked him to the floor. With a bump and a clump and a lump and a thump, I gave that guy what for? And man, when I was finished he must have known by then to never no never say buffalo again and in
1: 1982 drag legend divine released a song that referenced the classic routine titled native love step by step So, who did Slowly I Turned first? Well, that's lost to vaudeville history. Comedians Harry Stepp, Joy Fay, and Samuel Goldman have all laid claim to being the originator of the routine. Which actually
0: seems about right. Just like Rocky Callbacks, we can tell you what something is referencing and the long history of its variations, but there isn't a snowball's chance in hell that we will ever know exactly who came up with it first.
2: And, that's our show! We want to thank Red from the NYC cast for helping us out with callback
1: questions. And as always, we'd like to thank our writer, Jacob. Not this week. And our editor, Aaron, from Tennessee. Every week. We appreciate all of
0: your hard work. If anyone has a question that they'd like us to answer on air for our Ask a Question segment or some community news they'd like us to talk about or even a cool story to share with the community, we would love to include it on our show. Just go to the website RockyTalkyPodcast.com and fill out our contact form to tell us about it. If you're enjoying Rocky Talky, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. Makes the podcast more accessible to new listeners, which really helps us grow the show.
1: And if you want even more Rocky Talkie content, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Although we don't ever post there. We are all at Rocky Talkie Podcast.
0: We'll talk to you next
1: week. Bye. Adios. Ugh, God. Can you believe we've done 90 of these fucking things? Sorry, that was a bad joke. All right, (laughs) I laughed.
0: Making cut out the long uh, the the part where it was awkward. Yeah, making cut that out and then just put my laugh right there.
2: Sure. Wow, it's like the booty call version of locking your phones in a bag. I don't like it. I'm not saying that. Wow. That's really weird. I, what's the function <laughs> of this altar? Like you go into someone's house and you have to take off your shoes? Like, that is really weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you could yeah, always read the
2: thing Meg wrote. I'm not saying I kind of like it, though. I Oh, God, I don't. Well, what if, what if, what if...
0: Jacob, it's in character.
2: What, what no, if we did that? What if we did that? Okay, thank you very much, Aaron. Wow. It's like the booty call version of locking your phones in a bag during a
1: concert. I
3: kind of hate
1: it. So here's the movie audio for a very long time. Crash, boom, car's coming. Nobody puts boobies in the corner.
0: Definitely not me. (laughs) Put the boobies in my face. Yeah, and just. Yeah. Yeah.